This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. The following episode is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. Hi, I'm Katie Kim. I'm the manager of brand partnerships and experiences at Cadillac. And what I love about content is that it's democratic and good content can come from surprising places. Why is Cadillac so relevant when it comes to content and brand partnerships and experiences? What on earth does a car brand have to do with content? This is a show for you. From New York City, you're listening to Content Is Your Business, conversations with industry leaders and influencers covering the strategy and innovation of brand storytelling. Produced by Mouth Media Network, powered by Sennheiser, and brought to you by 24-7 Talent, the leading creative recruitment firm. Your hosts for this episode are Dahlia Strum, Lisa Berger, and Edward Hertzman. Katie Kim, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. So happy to be here. Um, If you can give us an elevator pitch of who you are and what do you do. What brand partnerships and experiences essentially means is any consumer touchpoint in the real world. So not on your phone, not through a TV on advertising. If it's in the real world, we have some form of influence or ownership over that. So it's a really sprawling scope of work. There's a ton of breadth. There's a lot of depth to what we do. And it's a really exciting time to be in automotive. Yeah, definitely. And you're next door to Cadillac House, right? Our office, um, our global headquarters actually is now in New York City, which many of you may not know. Um, We've been in Detroit for most of our 115-year history, and the global headquarters moved to New York in 2015. So we have a brand new experience center called Cadillac House, which I can talk a little bit more about in Soho um, at 330 Hudson Street. And our office is in the same building right upstairs. So you're literally like up the block from where we are right now. <laughs> I can see my office windows from here. Yes. That's so funny. So before we even start, I really want us, I want you to give us a little bit of background of what Cadillac House is, what does it mean, and how is it providing value in the industry right now? Well, I think that starts with Cadillac, the brand. Um, when, we t- when we say Cadillac, most people immediately have an association with our brand. They're thinking of maybe our big glamorous cars that Marilyn Monroe and Muhammad Ali drove back in the day. Um, you know, it was once the symbol that you made it in America that you reached your dream. Um, so it's a very um, nostalgic brand that has a lot of heritage. Um, and the challenge for us today is taking that positive nostalgia, but translating it into brand relevance today, because not a lot of people really understand or know where Cadillac is today. But cars, you know, that's a passion point for people. And so many people in America drive a car, own a car, um, love their car. And from a sales perspective, ever since the 50s, and 60s, we've really just been taking a toll in terms of our sales volume. So now there is this business need to turn around the brand, to regain brand relevance, and to stand for luxury once again. Um, So we kind of view ourselves as an underdog brand now and a 115-year-old startup with a massive challenge (laughs) on our hands. Um, So that 
is why the brand moved to New York City from Detroit to shake up how we were doing our business. Um, coming to New York City, which is the center of luxury in the United States, which is a really vibrant city with a ton of creative people, um, that all went into the calculus of moving the company here. Um, the company hired a lot of New York talent to join the team, including myself. I was not a transplant from Detroit. Um, and we were all given the task to think about how to revitalize this brand. That led to, on our marketing team, um, something called Cadillac House, which is, again, on the ground floor of the building where our office is. And it's a completely new way to experience our brand. Has anyone been to Cadillac House? Uh, <laughs> well, you'll all have to come over after. <laughs> well, Lisa and I happened to be there the other day together, so that was fun. Why does Cadillac House exist? What's the purpose? Sure. So, you know, our challenge in marketing, or our directive, rather, is to regain brand relevance. That's a tall order. You know, we're Super up tall. against the big German three, BMW, Mercedes, Audi, and then also Lexus um, from Japan are just dominating luxury um, car sales. So we're right now based on volume fifth globally ahead or sorry, behind those competitors. Um, and we have ambitions to really narrow the gap um, that we currently have. And the gap exists because luxury automotive customers today are not viewing Cadillac as a relevant brand for them. You know, marketers measure brand relevance and opinion and, and all these sorts of things through focus groups. And what we're seeing through our research is that the brand relevance just isn't there the way it was in the 50s and 60s when everyone bought a Cadillac and, you know, that was their badge, right? Um so in looking at the marketplace, the strategy and the thinking was we're not going to out-German the Germans. And what we mean by that is we can't just copy what they're doing. They have multiple times the budget that we have from a marketing standpoint because they sell more cars. So if we can't outspend them, if we can't outshout them, the strategy was, well, we will outwit them. So where they zig, we zag. Um, so I think everything the company is doing right now is not only rallying behind this goal of delivering profitable business and growth, but also strategically outwitting our competition and using that as our approach rather than just trying to play catch up. I am trading in my Tesla for a Cadillac right after this. Mm. Right after this segment, I have to. Look I sold it. you already. I am sold. Great, <laughs> I, I, but I think you could sell me anything. But, but I want to. I want to pivot this conversation a little bit. Obviously, the topic is content, mm -hmm. and the Cadillac House. Um, I have not been there. Uh, I, I will have to go. But obviously, is um, it's it's centralized here in New York, and you're obviously trying to cater to a to an international market today. So to bring it back to content for a second. Um, None of us in the room were here in the 50s or 60s, although my grandfather did have a Cadillac, and that was his symbol of success before he went bankrupt. But anyway, um, the question is back then, you know, you had radio, you had print, you had, you had TV. Today, there is so many channels of distribution for media. And so when you think about a strategy and how to reach people, um, how much is branded content? How much is, is experience? How much are you using non-traditional means of communication 
versus the traditional, you know, uh, v- uh, verticals? And how much uh, is social playing in all of this as well? That's a great question. And I think that's my answer has a little bit to do with why I'm here and I I have colleagues on a content and media team, but I'm also able to answer this question because of how our marketing team approaches that very question. And, you know, Cadillac's a major advertiser. We buy, you know, we do the traditional things. We buy airtime with all the networks. We have major TV campaigns that launch around the Oscars, for example, as we've done for the past few years. But our team of brand partnerships and experiences that's within marketing, we're viewing in real life experience as a form of content in and of itself. Not only that, but we're using these in real life touch points, offline touch points with the consumer and trying to um, encourage them to amplify that organically on their own. So social media obviously plays a huge role in that. And what we do is let's say you're at a Cadillac event Um, And it's at Cadillac House and maybe it's a gallery opening. What we do is we work with our gallery curator as we're developing this exhibition to just make it so, um, I don't know, to fill it with social media bait so that it is photographable, so that it is Instagrammable. And it's any content that you are experiencing at an event. How do we amplify that beyond the four walls of that event for people who weren't there? So we really make sure that anything we're doing is worth sharing. So how, you know, we talk about this on the air, we also talk about this off the air, is how do you quantify success? You know, when you're not talking about something where you can put a, mm-hmm. a Google double click on there and say it's this many impressions and this many clicks, and we don't even know what that means from a success rate or ROI anymore today anyway. But how do you take these, uh, whether it's uh, branded content or these type of events, how do you quantify success? How does management, you know, say that because this event was shared 10,000 times on Instagram, it was a success or was it a failure? Like, what does that look like inside your internal meetings and, and how do you determine success? We are, we are getting to define that ourselves, which is really rare. Um, and so some of the things we're doing, uh, if you take an experience, historically or traditionally, auto brands will, will take a traditional approach to an event. You go to an event you register, maybe you start getting emails from the dealer later on, maybe you're in market for a car, you know, and um, it's very transactional in terms of the experience. Um, So the metrics for a more transactional experience are foot traffic, leads, sales, right? So um, those have been some of the traditional metrics in the experiential world. What we're starting to do is pivot away from that kind of more traditional lower funnel set of metrics and say, yes, we can look at foot traffic and exposure, um, but let's also look at earned media impressions. How are my colleagues in PR helping us tell the story of what we're doing? Let's look at social metrics, um, impressions, shares whatever that may be, um, engagement. Um, And let's start to paint a picture of how buzzworthy was this event and the content that they were experiencing at the event. And so when you start to combine some of these amplification metrics with the traditional sort of footfall metrics, we're able to see 
um, a fuller picture, I think, of an experience. And then as we do more and more, we, we see what, what peaks, what doesn't, what's working and what's not. Um, so to some degree, when our team was formed two years ago, we had no benchmark. So we got to test, learn, and we're still coming up with what that benchmark is. Um, so we don't have extremely clearly defined metrics. We're kind of getting to figure it out ourselves right now, which is cool. I think that's pretty consistent with what we're hearing is that it's the Wild West and we're still mm -hmm. trying to figure out the, the, the commercial uh, viability of all this and what's the ROI. So how many followers do I need on Instagram to get a free Escalade? Uh, <laughs> uh, I would love one myself too, but you know, I would say it's an interesting time because I don't think any Instagrammer out there will get a free Escalade out of us. I mean, I think there's starting to be a little bit of, of fatigue with all of these bloggers that just want free stuff. Um, and you know, you have bloggers that are posting sponsored content, several times a day, different brands, and it's not consistent. I, I think people are pretty savvy and they can sniff out what's an ad and what's not. So, you know, you will not see from Cadillac, this is pretty consistent now. We're not in the game of pay for play. So our team is not really out there trying to find, you know, Instagrammers to pay to post a picture of our car. We're trying to develop relationships with partners that have an affinity for our brand that's real so that there's genuine interest in supporting our brand. And then, you know, maybe they're collaborating with us on an event um, or content for an event, or maybe it's a content campaign that's specific to social and digital. But, you know, we're not really in the same business as a CPG company mm -hmm. or a jewelry company or a fashion company where someone sees it on Instagram and can then buy, buy it right there. So it's that time. It's our favorite part of the show. Um, our special guest gets to bring in a snack and it gives us a chance to break bread together. Uh, so Katie, tell us, what did you bring and what does it mean to you? Well, I'm repping the brand today. So <laughs> I went to Cadillac House. We have an amazing coffee partner there, Joe. Agreed. They have really good coffee. It's great coffee. A couple fun facts. I mean, when we opened Cadillac House, we wanted to bring in a coffee partner that was local to New York. I mean, Joe is homegrown out of Greenwich Village. They're a New York brand. So we thought that's perfect for us. We want a New York partner in this. Um, they have amazing cookies. So I brought um, chewy molasses spice cookies and salted peanut butter cookies to oh, share. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right. Let's dig in. I'm sure you guys are dying for some cookies. <laughs> Be right back. Greetings, Mouth Media Network listener. My name is Davin Riley, and I'm willing to bet you like music. And even if my assumption is wrong, I still think you should come and check out our show, The Music Lover Podcast, where we sit down with entrepreneurs, pioneers, artists, and the unsung heroes of the music industry. Together, we'll uncover the insider perspectives on some of your favorite companies and artists as we analyze music business trends through a technological lens. Find us at the Music Lover Podcast. But remember, that's Music Lover without the vowels. M-S-C-L-V-R. Yes, we're that cool. 
And since you're cool too, we should be friends. The Music Lover Podcast. We'll see you there. Talent connects top brands and agencies with exceptional creative, marketing, and digital talent every day. Whether you're looking for the right position or to hire the very best talent, 24-7 boasts more than 500,000 vetted and interviewed freelance and full-time candidates. Experience the difference at 247talent.com. That's 24-S-E-V-E-N-Talent.com. It looks like all of your cookies were devoured. Thank you so much for bringing those in. You're welcome. <laughs> Still crumbs on my fingers. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that Cadillac currently is not working with any in-house um, branded content studio at any major publication or agency. And I know that's a big trend. All the major uh, publishing houses are creating you know, these in-house studios. Why is this something that you're not doing? You know, A lot of brands are, are investing in this. Um, what's the pros and cons of it and what's, what other strategies are you taking if this is something you're not investing in? Sure. I mean, look, Cadillac will continue to be a major advertiser and, you know, we work with a lot of publishers out there that are developing their own content studios. You know, New York Times has a really robust studio, Condé Nast, of course. I mean, these are the, really the big guns. So you will continue to see Cadillac doing media buys and all the traditional things, of course. Um, but when it comes to our own organic content and things that you see in our, um, on our owned and operated channels, you're going to start to see more of a really Cadillac specific point of view. This started two years ago with the launch of the relaunch of our brand um, and our campaign called Dare Greatly. That's kind of our brand tagline now, Dare Greatly. And, you know, at first we launched doing a lot of sort of partner content. We featured really interesting people doing interesting things borrowing equity from them. And now we're really in a place as a brand where we can tell our own story. We don't need to borrow equity. Um, and we're creating our own content in that way. So that's kind of the perspective. Um, but I wouldn't say that we're shying away from working with content studios. We're, we're still doing that. But I think content is viewed through a broader lens as well, especially with uh, my role on the partnerships and experiences team. And we really view in-person events and partnerships as a source for content. So I think that's kind of like a, an interesting perspective, um, borrowing equity. What does that mean? How are you doing that? How are people or brands rather currently doing that right now? And how, how does that affect the landscape of where we've been and where we're going? I would say, well, what I mean by borrowed equity an example would be an event world, would be sponsoring someone else's event. That's borrowing equity, yeah. right? So let's say there's an amazing event. Um, you could say that it's a fashion show and maybe it's a designer. And you sponsor that show and you put your logo on their step and repeat and on the invitations. That's borrowing equity. We're borrowing the shine of the designer and the visibility that they get to kind of, you know, give us some shine. And that's just a traditional sponsorship. Um, there is value to that if your um, KPIs are things like awareness and impressions and whatnot. Um, and we still do that on occasion, but I think what we're trying to do um, going forward is 
doing less of the events and partnerships where we're merely borrowing equity from someone else and we're trying to co-create content with a partner from the ground up, something that's custom, that's unique to our brand and speaks to our brand and our partner's brand, um, and really develop something that's that's organic. And I hate to use the word authentic, but that's the only way to do it. You can't just slap our logo on something that exists and um, and and hope that that works for for the brand. I mean, we're really trying to build and create things from the ground up um, rather than borrowing other people's equity. Yeah. So Katie, on the um, co-creation note, so I walked into Cadillac Costs about a week ago and noticed that you have a retail space. Can you elaborate on the retail lab? Yes. So if you walk into Cadillac House towards the back, there is a pop-up retail boutique. um, And that is called Retail Lab. And it's a program we co-created and built from scratch with the Council of Fashion Designers of America, or the CFDA. They're the not-for-profit trade association for the American fashion industry. And we had worked with the CFDA um, uh, beginning with New York Fashion Week Men's, which they launched in July of 2015. We came on board as a founding sponsor, and we thought they're doing something really interesting in the fashion industry here. They're supporting men's, which has typically not been popular um, uh, in terms of doing fashion shows and presentations in the U.S., and we wanted to get involved. Um, and they have been such a good partner to us, and we thought, what more can we do to really make an impact in the American fashion industry? Is there something that you, the CFDA, have wanted to do and just haven't been able to do yet? And Stephen Kolb, who's the CEO of the CFDA, said, we have this gap where American fashion designers are struggling with retail. This environment is so challenging with e-com really being the primary means of sales, but designers dream of having a store with their name on it. Um, We would love to help designers explore if brick-and-mortar retail is a viable business path for them. So we said, that's really fertile territory to come up with a cool program. So the output of that was Retail Lab. Retail Lab is an application-based mentorship program for American fashion designers who don't yet have brick-and-mortar retail of their own. They might have great distribution at department stores. They might have their own e-com, but they don't have a store with their name on it. So these designers receive mentorship from the Retail Lab Advisory Board. It's filled with the who's who from the industry. They also get a $75,000 grant from Cadillac to use during three months um, at Cadillac House in the retail space. So they get to come into this blank space and really put their imprimatur on it and set up a retail shop and treat it like a lab, figure out what does retail mean to this business? Is it a viable path forward? Um, So what's great for us at Cadillac House is every three months, there's something new there. There's new content for someone to come in and see and witness. Um, And for the designers, it's really great because in a really sort of safe, low investment way, low risk way, they get to determine if brick and mortar retail is something they should do for their business. So we have a real impact on these designers' businesses. Talking about content and leveraging brand equity, um, 
you should definitely be talking to our editors at Sourcing Journal because that's a great story, and and you know you, that message should be going out to the industry. I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of our readers are are young entrepreneurs, uh, and and they're looking for mentorship. And and the landscape, especially retail and apparel, is changing so rapidly that it's um, it's interesting. It seems that you guys are really trying to position yourself as a lifestyle brand, uh, not just an automotive company. Uh, is Correct. that different than a lot of other um, car companies? Would you say? I think so. I think it's a really good differentiator um, from our competitors for Cadillac. A few years ago, as we were relaunching the brand, our CMO, Uva Ellinghouse, um, you know, he was giving this quote that basically said, you know, he really aspires to have Cadillac uh, be an aspirational luxury brand beyond the boundaries of just automotive. Um, And I, you know, I think what that means is, not that the cars aren't important. Our product is incredible. It's the best it has been ever in the history of our company. If you ask the real auto geeks, they are saying that we're completely destroying our competition. Um, just look at the car and driver best 10 lists. We're always there. But I think what we're all aspiring to do is regain our place as that sort of premium or the pinnacle of premium or be the pinnacle of luxury again. And so we're really looking at what are luxury brands doing um, and what can we learn from the luxury industry and um, apply that to our business of selling cars? So I wouldn't really say that we're just a lifestyle brand. I would say we're a luxury brand. And um, that doesn't just mean selling beautiful product. I think that means standing for something and having an emotional connection with our customers. And do you think that by getting them essentially in the door, you're able to create that connection? Well, that was part of the point of Cadillac House. So Cadillac House is our first ever brand experience center. And I think, you know, brand experience centers are kind of trendy right now. But really, um, what ours does differently is that... um, when you're selling a vehicle, it's a major purchase for people. And we're not a CPG company or a fashion company where you can make an impulse purchase. People don't buy vehicles on a whim. So that means we have to have a relationship with a customer and we have to start wooing them years in advance, not, you know, through some Instagram photo that they really like. Yeah. So if you think about the point of sale for vehicles, that's a dealership. And By the time people get to a dealership these days, they've already decided what they want. That wasn't the case five years ago even. Five years ago, people were cross-shopping four or five different dealerships and different brands. Now people are going to between one to two. What that tells us is that they're doing their research online. They already know what they want. They're just going to the dealership to fill out the paperwork and walk away with their vehicle. So if people are not considering Cadillac and they're not going into our dealerships to learn more about our product, we better have a strong presence online through content. We better find other ways of reaching our customer through events or opening places like Cadillac House. So Cadillac House really um, is designed to start bringing new people into the brand, even if they're not considering buying a car today. I think last time we met, you even said that it takes about three years 
of building a relationship with a customer. And why is that? What did, where did that timeline come from? Well, I mean, that timeline is really driven by the popularity of the leasing model in the United States, right? So most luxury automotive customers are on a three-year lease. That's kind of just the standard uh, in the industry. Um, you know, you'll look at a company uh, or some of our competitors and 70% of their, you know, not sales, but they're really leases. Um, and so our lease percentage rate is a little bit lower than our competitors. So when I say three years, that means if people are on a three-year lease cycle, then we start to view them as in market, maybe they're, when they're one year out from their lease expiring, right? Once they're six months away from their lease expiring, they're probably already starting to think about that next lease and are they going to go back to their brand they're are they going to already from the dealership they're ah. already getting a call you know and the dealers they know their customers whose leases are expiring so they'll say hey come back and renew pick out a different car and they'll buy you out of the lease they'll buy you out yeah. exactly they'll incentivize that for you so if we want to get conquests which is our sort of industry term for people who are not your owners yet if we want to get conquests from our competitors we have to start talking to them way upstream. We have to do a lot more work to get on their radar and make our brand relevant for them so that by the time they're ready to consider their next vehicle, we've already kind of been there. So I think when you look at it from the lens of getting people in the door, building a relationship with them over the course of three years, you have to think through like how you do that, what type of partnerships you're trying to build. I know you have a couple in the pipeline. Could you share any interesting ones with us? Yeah, there are a couple that we're so excited about. Um, one is Global Citizen, which we um, announced just yesterday, I believe. And um, so Global Citizen is a not-for-profit, and their mission is to end extreme world poverty. So you might be wondering, what on earth does that have to do with Cadillac? Um, and it's a great question. And that stems from an insight. So one insight, or one fact, rather, is that in just a few short years, um, by 2020, it's projected that over half of luxury automotive vehicle purchases will be done by someone in the millennial generation. Now, it's overly popular for marketers to talk about millennials, but the sheer fact is they're inheriting $30 trillion worth of wealth. They're going to yeah. have spending power. So what do we need to do to um, increase our brand relevance and brand consideration with millennials? That's one of the challenges that we're working towards. Um, millennials, if you look at tons of research, over-index compared to previous generations in terms of the importance of brands making a social impact. So this is also really in vogue to talk about, but it's based on a lot of research. So if the insight is that millennials are passionate about causes, they donate more of their time and their dollars to causes than previous generations, they strongly believe that brands should be using their megaphones to do good in the world. They believe this, right? Then why shouldn't we as a brand at Cadillac take that insight and turn it into something. It'd be silly for us to not consider leveraging this insight that we have about a demographic that needs to be buying our cars in order for our business to be profitable. So 
we did a lot of thinking and what felt true to our brand was to work with Global Citizen. Global Citizen is all down for the cause. Mm -hmm. They want to end extreme world poverty. And the way they've done that so far is they have sort of harnessed the power of global citizens um, and social media to turn that into advocacy and policy change. So, for example, they will engage and encourage their global citizens all around the world to take action, much of which is centered on social media, you know, tweeting, posting, that sort of thing, um, to enact policy change and to affect the environment in which change can happen. So, you know, global citizen has made really great strides all around the world in different countries to impact actual policy. That's what they're really good at. And the way they incentivize this behavior is by tapping into the power of celebrity and music artists who are really passionate about these same issues. And these music artists are more than happy to donate their time and their voice to support a cause. And they'll do uh, performances at the Global Citizen Festival that's held annually in Central Park. And the way you get access to that festival is not by buying a ticket. It's by taking an action and by mm. making an impact, right? So by taking these actions like tweeting or posting or signing a petition that gives you points in the global citizen universe to then use to enter to win access to these amazing concerts from amazing artists that are all supporting this mission. We're really excited to work with global citizen to kind of add a new layer to how they're tackling world change. And that is rather than trying to impact the environment for change, which is policy, right? We're trying to empower the actual change makers. So we thought there are these incredible social entrepreneurs out there. Um, we've featured some incredible entrepreneurs in our former TV campaigns and, and a lot of our content from the past two years. And we thought, we want to shine a light on some of these social entrepreneurs that might have for-profit businesses that are also double bottom line where they're making an impact as well, or they're, they founded completely new business models or nonprofit models that are just making an impact. Um, so we're trying to um, create a program that that helps their businesses or their projects get to the next level. Um, how we're doing that is we've launched the Accelerator Series with Global Citizen. So it's Global Citizen and Cadillac in Concert supporting social entrepreneurship. That's awesome. So we're going to have a ton of content on the Global Citizen website at globalcitizen.org. And it's all about what is social entrepreneurship? Why is it powerful? Here are some amazing social entrepreneurs that are doing cool things. Uh, we have Charlie Puth, Andra Day, and Demi Lovato all slated to perform at Cadillac House, these intimate you know, 200, 300 person concerts that this is a money can't buy once in a lifetime experience. And the only way that you're going to get access to these concerts is if you take actions supporting these social entrepreneurs or supporting the issues that they're working to solve. Um, so we hope that through this partnership, Cadillac is doing our small part in kind of shining a spotlight on the incredible work that can be done through social entrepreneurship. And we think that has, you know, a really rich sort of organic tie to us as a brand. We're a for-profit business, but we're trying to do some good as well. Um, and we hope that this resonates with our audience. 
it's fantastic. I love that cause. And I love how you've been able to merge the value of content and driving actions and creating creating an opportunity for people to want to come to the Cadillac House to listen to these concerts. concerts. And essentially, it creates like a form of FOMO, right? So like the more vested people become, the more they'll attend these different exclusive events. So I'm sure this is uh, for all the CMOs and content strategists listening uh, a, they're probably intimidated and they probably have a million ideas running through their brain right now of what they should be doing or need to do. But I guess the other question they probably have is, you know, at the end of the day, are all these initiatives uh, driving more sales? You know, what is the ultimate return on investment? I know the Cadillac House is new. It's been a two-year program for you. I know there's about – you mentioned there's a three-year grace period when you may have to court, uh, you know, a potential new buyer or leasee. But ultimately, are you seeing an uptick in sales? And do you feel that Cadillac or other brands are going to continue to invest in this type of out-of-the-box thinking? And will it result in more business ultimately for you? We strongly believe so. Um, are you seeing it? We are seeing it. So global volume growth for Cadillac is up 27%. And we're growing globally, um, especially in markets like China, Canada, the Middle East, um, all over the world. And we're seeing that back at home here in the States as well. I think what's interesting to look at even deeper is we're making strides in these brand health metrics that our marketing team was tasked to move the needle on. So, you know, we measure a lot of different KPIs that relate to brand health. And we're seeing consistent improvements in those scores. And especially in partnerships and experiences, we measure our own events, you know, we'll do pre and post event surveys, we want to figure out if our events and our programs are working for us. And what we're seeing is that a there's a major impact that our events have on opinion and brand opinion and brand consideration. Um, Double digit percentage point increase. We're also now seeing, because we've done longitudinal studies, that there is a long tail effect. So six months, one year after someone has come to an event and, and engaged with our brand, the brand and opinion and brand consideration remain almost the same as when we just engaged with them after the event. That means that increase in brand opinion and consideration is lasting. And we're having a lasting impression on people who engage with us. Do you think some of those domestic efforts here are translating to, into international sales, or is it the some of those markets, their desire to purchase luxury American uh, products or brands is, is fueling that growth? I would say it's different market by market. You know, you look at a, at a market like China, and our average buyer there is 34 years old. Wow. So young. And they love the fact that we're an American brand. Um, they love that we have heritage and they're looking for American brands with a story to tell. And so that's why we do really well in China with um, the young um, sort of customers over there. Um, it's very different from our current average buyer in the United States, for an example, which tends to be older. I mean, we do very well with boomers, for example, and we need to play catch up with Gen X and millennials, which is why we're doing so much, um, you know, why we're focusing so much on interesting partnerships and experiences that boost brand relevance with millennials. That's our focus here. So market by market, it's 
honestly, a different challenge. And baby boomers must really love Escalades. <laughs> you know what? Escalades is actually our youngest customer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, On the market-to-market note, Eddie, um, just with the relocation of the headquarters from Detroit to New York, has the mindset of hiring into the organization changed? Absolutely. Um, You know, back in Detroit... That Detroit will always be home for the Cadillac brand. We have amazing roots there. Um, But I think what's been really exciting to see about the move to New York, and I can only say this as a relative newcomer to the brand, you know, having been here just a little over two years, it's been so cool to see this startup mentality um, kind of mashed up with Uh, a really amazing brand that's been around for 115 years. You know, if you look at a brand moving here and I would say maybe two thirds of our company that's at global headquarters was hired locally and had it moved from Detroit. And we were all hired within, I don't know, the course of three to four months. I mean, the company essentially went from employee number one in New York in April of 2015 to about 140 people by the end of the year. That is aggressive growth for any company. And um, and for us, that was mostly local hires, not the transplants. So I think that's infused a ton of really amazing energy into the company. And, um, and that's also been just personally a really gratifying experience. We'll get into more personal questions right after this. You can follow us on social media at Content Biz Show. That's Content B-I-Z Show. And episodes are available on our website, contentisyourbusiness.com, and wherever the best podcasts are found. You can also check out all of the other Mouth Media Network shows at mouthmedianetwork.com. Time for personal questions. So what is your story? And we like to get into the personal side of uh, the stories behind the storytellers. So we have no idea what our, what our co-hosts are going to ask, but we determine that order by choosing numbers from 1 to 20, and the closest match to a random number wins. So my number is 3. 16. 20. Price is right. <laughs> <laughs> Fifteen. All right. We're going to test your trivia. Okay, Eddie. Cadillac, I believe you mentioned when we were getting to know each other earlier, is the most used car company in music's correct is that We're the most name dropped brand. All right. Mm-hmm. So my favorite song is Big Timers. Uh, oh, Cadillac no. Escalade with the chromed out nose. You know that song? Still no, Fly? No, I don't. Still Fly 2002? No, I don't. Uh, I'm so bad at this. <laughs> all right, so. 2002. 2002. So, anyway, my question to you is what is your favorite song where they name dropped Cadillac? That's easy. I am a huge Bruno Mars fan. He's just an amazing entertainer. And his song that is on the charts right now, that's what I like. He talks about putting miles on a Cadillac. Bruno loves Cadillac. I love Bruno. So that's that's an easy one. That is an easy one. I mean, I was getting nostalgic <laughs> with mine. But... All right, good answer. 
We're going to put our auto generator to work, and our next number is. Nine. Oh, so you're doing all these different events. What is your favorite one that you've done so far? Oh my gosh, that's really hard. That's like picking your favorite child. Um, it's got to oh, be Warhol. Oh, and why? Obviously, it's got to be Warhol. Um, we partnered with the Andy Warhol Museum in Pittsburgh, and we basically took a completely different look at the life of Andy Warhol um, and created an exhibition called Letters to Andy Warhol. And it it uh, debuted at Cadillac House in November of last year. And then it went to L.A., then Miami. It's being broken down in Munich and being moved out as we speak. And it'll go to Dubai for its final debut at the end of the year. And that exhibition, I think, has been my favorite because like Cadillac, Andy Warhol has, you know, this sort of pop culture relevance. And um, and the exhibition was all about framing not just his artwork, but his life. In, in a new way that most people may never have known before, which is what we're trying to kind of do with Cadillac um, to tell our story in a new way. And um, we worked with an amazing set of content collaborators on that exhibition. We basically tapped artists and um, content creators from a number of different industries to um, reinterpret letters from Andy Warhol's archive. Um, so for example, um, we worked with Brian Atwood, who's a shoe designer, um, and he created this children's story um, around the theme of rejection and redemption that came from um, something that had happened in Andy's personal life. We worked with the filmmaker Chiara Clemente, um, who interviewed a number of people, Zach Posen, David LaChapelle, Sienna Miller, Nick Rhodes, about uh, and her own father, Francesco Clemente, who hung out with Andy Warhol at Studio 54, um, about kind of their... Uh, path to success and and what kind of motivated them there. So, you know, those are just two examples. We also worked with Derek Blasberg, um, J.J. Martin, and um, Sean Lennon, who composed an original song inspired by his memories of Uncle Andy. And it was amazing to just have all of these collaborators um, create content for an exhibition like no one has ever seen before about Andy Warhol. That was my awesome. favorite. All right. So I guess I'm up. So do you drive? And if you drive, what do you drive? Well, I obviously drive a Cadillac. Uh. Um, uh, I live in Manhattan. So I get this question a lot because people say, you live in Manhattan. Do you drive? Do you have a car? Um, the answer is yes. I, so my in-laws live in northern New Jersey, just over the George Washington Bridge. It's 30 minutes from my place in Hell's Kitchen. So I actually leave my car there um, in their driveway so I don't have to pay exorbitant parking fees right. in so. Manhattan. Um, but we, uh, my husband and I just visit them a lot. We love to go out to Jersey on the weekends and go golf, buy groceries out there. <laughs> um, and so I drive every single weekend. Um, I have a CTS, a 2017 model year. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a great midsize sedan, um, sporty handling, you know, I have no problem kind of weaving through all the crazy traffic on 95. Um, and, and yeah, I love driving, but it's nice to not have to drive in Manhattan. Uh, so stories often end with a final thought. And if you could reflect on today's conversation, what would would your final thought based on our conversation be? Sure. I mean, I guess I would go back to my sort of 
opening thought about content being democratic. And I think that's something that I personally love and hate about content. Good content can come from anywhere. I think that raises the bar for brands and advertisers to create compelling content. So not only do you have to create something that's really compelling, but then there's distribution and distribution is really important. And that's, you know, a whole other can of worms in terms of targeting and distribution platforms. But I would say that it's a really interesting time right now because content is not top down anymore. It can come from the bottom up. And so what that means for brands like us is we just have to work that much harder. Yeah, definitely. Um, So if any of our listeners are interested in reaching out to you, how would they go about doing that? Sure. Feel free to message me on LinkedIn or you can email me. Um, Email's pretty easy. It's katie.kim at cadillac.com. Happy to reach out and answer any questions. Awesome. Thank you so much for such a good interview. Um, That was Katie Kim from Cadillac. That's it for this episode of Content is Your Business. We really appreciate you being a part of this conversation today. And until next time for Eddie. Thank you, Katie. And Lisa. Katie, great to see you. Thank you. My name is Dahlia Strom. Thank you, Katie. I really appreciate it. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. See you next time with more Content is Your Business. You've been listening to Content Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for this show or to become a sponsor, email us at contentshow at mouthmedianetwork.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Content Biz Show. That's Content B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, contentisyourbusiness.com. Produced by Mouth Media Network and brought to you by 24-7 Talent. Connect with the best talent at 247talent.com. Copyright 2017. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thanks for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.